After teaching elementary school for quite a few years, over a decade, Dodie Gadiant decided to travel across America and see some of the places that she had been teaching her fifth graders about. So this this particular summer, she got a truck, and she had a trailer in tow, and she took off. One afternoon, she was rounding a curve on I-5 near Sacramento in rush hour traffic, and a water pump blew. She was tired, exasperated, scared, alone, and in spite of the traffic jam that she caused and all the cars that were beeping as they scooted past on the outside, no one seemed interested in helping. She leaned up against the trailer and she prayed, Please, Lord, send me an angel, preferably one with mechanical experience. And within four minutes, she said, a huge Harley drove up, ridden by an enormous man sporting long black hair, a beard, and tattooed arms. With an incredible air of confidence, he jumped off, and without even glancing at Dodie, he went to work on her truck. Within another few minutes, he flagged down a larger truck, attached a tow chain to the frame of that her disabled Chevy, and whisked the whole 56-foot rig off to the side and into a side street, actually, where he calmly continued to work on the water pump. Well, Dodie Gadiant was intimidated, as you might expect, and too dumbfounded to talk, especially when she read the paralyzing words on the back of his jacket, Hell's Angels. California. As he finished the task, she finally got up the courage to say thanks so much and carry on a brief conversation. He, of course, noticed her surprise at the whole ordeal, and he looked her straight in the eye and he said, don't judge a book by its cover. You may not know who you're talking to. And with that, he smiled closed the hood of her truck, straddled his Harley, waved, and rode off as fast as he had appeared. We may not like it, but I think within us, as within Dodie Gadiant, there's a little bit of favoritism and a little bit of prejudice. Will Willimon quotes John Henry Newman, a 19th century preacher, who said that most people are persuaded in religious matters not by garrulous reason, the arguments found in books and systems of thought, but rather by other people. For instance, Newman noted that there, then this is 19th century, there appears to be less prejudice against Catholics as a group in the small villages of England than in the large, sophisticated confines of London. He reasoned that this is true because in the small villages, people can actually get to know Catholics. They don't think of Catholicism as an idea, a contrary system of belief, but rather as their neighbor who lives down the lane. Today's gospel passage is not one that would persuade us by garrulous reason. Is that even possible in the ways of faith? The Gospel of John is challenging. Now, Arlene, our resident Bible scholar, says that's her favorite gospel. But for literal-minded people, 
It's challenging because John is poetic. He's a poet. He uses metaphor. He speaks to the imagination which many of us left behind when we, were, when we uh, took on those literable and tangible responsibilities of adulthood. Deciding between powder or liquid laundry detergent doesn't leave much room for imagination. In John's Gospel, Jesus speaks to the heart more than to the mind. Our minds know that a man and bread are not the same thing. So how is it then that Jesus says, I am bread? Metaphorical language, such as our gospel passage, makes some eyes glaze over. Okay, whatever. Give me only facts, we say, and practicality. When our imaginations are emaciated, we find ourselves biased against metaphor. If we hear with our hearts, though, we hear a call to get to know Jesus. With our hearts, we hear Jesus wanting to fill us with bread that will satisfy the hunger of our souls. Our minds seek all manner of things to fill us. Wealth, a meaningful career, special relationships, shopping, entertainment. And each of these may satisfy our souls for a while. But most of us find, even if we attain our financial goals or have a spectacular partner or enjoy a life-enriching hobby, that something still is lacking. My Sunday school class is studying a book about money by guru Dave Ramsey in that he urges us to stop keeping up with the proverbial Joneses. He says the Joneses are broke because they're in debt up to their eyeballs. When we try to fill our lives to satisfy our wants with impressive technology or trips to exotic places or even book knowledge, we still are left hungry. Yesterday, our seven-year-old was sulking because his sister got to do something that he didn't. I said, if you spend your life, very parentally, by the way, if you spend your life focusing on the things that you don't have instead of the things you do, you're going to have a pretty disappointed life. Well, who am I really talking to? We have to learn that over and over again as adults. When we're trying to get our kicks from external things, we will look anorexic and feel anorexic because we remain hungry for a personal relationship with our Creator who has been made manifest in Jesus Christ. It's not with the Joneses that we want to keep up. It's with Jesus A father was teaching his son what a Christian should be like. And when the lesson was over, the father felt sort of stabbed in the heart when the boy asked, Dad, have I ever met one of these Christians? 
The writer to the Ephesians speaks on a poetic level, paralleling John's gospel, when in the verses just prior to the ones that were read today, not those exact ones, but just before, the writer says, you were taught to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then from that, he starts to draw a a verbal picture of a Christian who lives and acts not only for that Christian self, but for that Christian's community. And so the writer says, put away falsehood. Let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors. Why? We get to ask in these. Why? For we are members of one another. Thieves give up stealing, labor and work honestly. Why? To have something to share with those who are needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up. Why? So that your words may give grace to those who hear. Put away bitterness, wrath, anger, and all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why? Because God in Christ has forgiven you. This passage, too, is about the fulfillment that comes from that personal relationship with Christ. With his help, these admonitions are actually possible. A small boy sat with his mother in church, and he was listening to a sermon called, What is a Christian? And the minister, in a style somewhat different from mine, punctuated his talk at several key intervals by asking, What is a Christian? And each time he pounded his fist on the pulpit for emphasis. At one time, at one point, the boy whispered to his mother, Mama, do you know? Do you know what a Christian is? And she leaned down to him and said quietly, Yes, dear, now try to sit still and listen. As the minister was wrapping up the sermon, once again he thundered, What is a Christian? And pounded especially hard on the pulpit. And the boy jumped up and he cried, Tell him, Mama, tell him. (laughs) What would you say to that preacher? What would your response to that question be? What does a Christian look like to you? Would you go along with the Ephesians statement about being lovingly honest, angry without sinning, hardworking, kind, and forgiving? And is that all a Christian is? Be imitators of God is the next verse in Ephesians 5.1. As beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. More metaphor. These statements speak to our mind and to our heart, helping us understand from the outside what a Christian is and how then a faithful Christian is to live. And while these are helpful, these admonitions, I think sometimes we find it more helpful to actually see people in action 
that the stories are more motivating and powerful than instructive words. Some of you were here three weeks ago when Kirk Lashley commissioned the mission team to Standing Rock Reservation. We stood down front, and Kirk had prepared a match box for each of us with one match inside. And he said, sometime during this week, you're going to experience God in a powerful way. It might be positive, it might be negative, it might be wonderful, it might be painful. But when that happens, take out your match, strike it, and then he had left a space to write on the matchbox what had happened so that we could keep that with us. And Kirk gave us a new phrase then to use that week as each of us kept our eye out for a match-striking moment. Mine didn't come until the week was almost over. The mission team of about 50 from Virginia had prepared backpacks for 60 school-aged children, and some of your donations helped to buy the school supplies to fill them, so thank you, Calvary. That Friday afternoon, the backpacks were spread out on the gym floor for the students to be able to view them all. The students lined up against a wall, and then they were invited out from the oldest to the youngest to choose a backpack and take it with them. Well, one of the older preschoolers had escaped from the playroom. And he picked up one of the last backpacks on the floor, but it had to be taken away from Avery to give to a second grader who had not yet received one. His pained cry echoed back and forth across the hard walls of the the gymnasium. I didn't see this happen, but I learned about an hour later that when that backpack was taken away from Avery, One of the Virginia teenagers who had connected with him earlier that day made a quick decision, sought the necessary car key, unlocked the rental car, emptied his own L.L. Bean backpack, took took it into the gym, and gave it to the crying boy. That gentle, humble, and imaginative sacrifice touched me more deeply than all the stories I heard about the difficulties of life on the reservation. It's a story of the imitation of God's kindness and compassion. It's a story of keeping up with Jesus. And hearing that was my match-striking moment. If we have to be competitive with someone, let's drop the Joneses from our list and aim to keep up with Jesus. The weekend that the mission team left for Standing Rock, vandals spray-painted several buildings in Old Southwest, including Beth Israel Synagogue. Stephen Stanley is the associate rector at Christ Episcopal Church, and he was moved to initiate a public show of support for the synagogue. And that culminated this past Monday in local Christian and Muslim leaders standing with Jewish and other brothers and sisters on the steps of the synagogue and lighting a candle to help us remember that no matter how dark the darkness, that God's light always makes a difference. 
Stephen didn't say this, but part of the reason I think it was meaningful for him to initiate this is because he has a strong understanding of family. The family being not just the Christian family, but the family expanded to to Jews and to Muslims and to everyone in the whole world that God has lovingly created. Years ago, Stephen's brother converted from Christianity to Judaism. And he's now a rabbi. And so Stephen and his family has a Christian minister, a Jewish rabbi, and an agnostic. Three brothers. So you can see his perspective to a degree how he would like to bring people together. I, I felt like this was a, a sense of family that... Stephen helped us to remember, regardless of our differences and our prejudices, that we are members of one another. We have a responsibility to show care and support for each other, to be bred for each other. As we seek to know Jesus better, through his metaphors, through his stories, we, too, aim toward building our lives around his to become images of kindness and forgiveness. And then through us, God's realm expands on earth. Let's pray together. God of power and love and eternity, we thank you for the eternal life that you do offer us through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the strength that you give us to live each day of this life and pray that you would help us to remember all the things that we have and to not thirst after the things that we have not. You are close beside us. For that we thank you. Go with us then through the week ahead, each day with each decision. Help, the be- to help those decisions to be made with mercy with compassion, and with forgiveness in imitation of Christ. Amen.